So this morning, if you would turn to Acts chapter 7, actually Acts chapter 6, and then Acts 7, uh, Acts chapter 6, uh, verse uh, 8 through 15. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read some verses that that it's going to lead right into this. You don't have to look these ones up, just stay there in the book of Acts. And I'm going to read to you out of the book of Luke some things that Jesus said, and it's going to lead right into uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 8. This is what Jesus said. He said this, When they bring you to the synagogues and the magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And then Jesus went on to say this in Luke. He said, uh, But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you'll be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Now, Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And then in verse 10, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. When they secret, then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous, blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. Then the high priest said, are these things so? And he said, men, um, he said, brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. And said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to the land in which you now dwell. Let's pray. Father, we uh, see that um, when Stephen gave this answer, it was a a long answer. They asked him a, a simple yes or no question and he gave them a sermon. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be ready to to tell the story of what you've done, the story of who you are, so that when people ask us questions, whether it's out of curiosity or sometimes to try to trick us or, or sometimes even to mock us, God, that we would take opportunities and realize that your Holy Spirit is the one that will do the work in their lives. So Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture. Help us to understand it today, Lord. Help us to um, take these words and draw close to you as a result of us reading it and to know what we're to do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, what Stephen is about to do is he's about ready to take these people, which are religious Jewish leaders in the Hebrew nation of Israel that are, are the teachers of all of Israel, he's going to take them on a history lesson. And this history lesson is really his story. It's where we get history. It's, it's Jesus' story. It's the story of God. And what he's going to do is he's going to begin by, by taking them through and helping them to see 
um, basically Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. And let me explain it this way. He's going to connect the dots. And this morning, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I hope that that's what uh, we'll be doing today, is connecting some dots. So that when we hear this biblical account of what happened, it will make sense not only for the nation of Israel at that time, but also in our own lives. Um, I, I don't know how many of you study constellations, like stars. I know that there's a Google app now that you just kind of hold it up, and it knows what part of the sky you're looking at, and it tells you what kind of constellations are there. But for me, when I was looking at these constellations, um, even as a kid, I could never see it. You know, it would be like a couple of dots here and there, and it'd say, this is a, a bull, or this is, you know, this is a man running on a, you know, from a chariot, and I'm like, there's like a star here, and I, I'm thinking that that's kind of a reach sometimes when it comes to that dot to dot, but there's some easier dot to dots where you could look at the dots and it makes sense. As a kid, maybe um, your teacher gave you the extra credit thing, you know, connect the dots, and you looked at it, and you could say, that's a rabbit, just by looking at it. They should have been able to tell just by reading the scriptures that all of the dots were connecting, pointing to Jesus being the Savior. It, it, was, it was obvious as this picture of connecting the dots, but they kind of saw it like those constellations, like a, a random dot here or there, and it didn't make sense to them. So what Stephen's going to do is he's going to take this history and he's going to bring it all together to, to try to help them to see that really it's Jesus who's the fulfillment of all of these things. Now, we know that Stephen was a, um, a man full of faith and power. He did great signs and wonders among the people. And really, his initial calling was as an administrator and a busboy, a combo administrator busboy. There were uh, the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking uh, Jewish women, the widows. They weren't uh, being, um, met, their needs weren't being met, and so they, they brought this complaint and so when the apostles heard the complaint, the apostles, remember, they said, we're going to devote ourselves to the word of God and to prayer because that's our calling. That's our specific thing that we're supposed to do. But you choose seven men that are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom um, and of good reputation whom we may appoint over this work. And so they did that. And Stephen was one of these guys. Now, Stephen does this. Um, Word gets out that Stephen is really making this big impact and these religious leaders, they, they kind of, they get angry and they want to um, put it to, they, they just want to stop it. And so what ends up happening is they bring them before the council and, and I want you to know that this council is a very, very intimidating council. I, I talked to a friend at, that, uh, at the funeral yesterday that said he went to a job interview and at his job interview, he, he was expecting to talk to one person. There were 15 people in a semicircle with plaques that had their name and their position. He said, <laughs> he walked in, he was just super, super intimidated. And I, I think about what this is like for Stephen, because it's important to know this is the council that was there just a couple of months before when what happened? Who was crucified? Jesus was crucified. The high priest, Caiaphas, is the same high priest. These are the same people. So when Stephen is brought before them, he kind of knows what's in store. He kind of knows that this is kind of a loaded, um, you know, the odds are stacked against him. And he's brought there to give an answer. And here is the simple question that this high priest asks in verse 1 of chapter 7. And he asks a simple question, 
Are these things so? Now, if you're trying to save your own hide, you give a one-word answer. Yes, no. You try to reduce those things. You don't say a lot. Um, You don't want to get in trouble. You don't want to cause controversy. The same thing is true for us at work, at school. If someone asks you about your faith or uh, what church do you go to or are you a Christian or tell me what you believe, and we could just give the simple answer so that it's not controversial, or we could take opportunity and say, this is my chance because this is an open door that God has just opened and I need to walk through it. Lord, give me courage and wisdom right now to say what you want me to say. So Stephen is not going to tell his own story. Stephen is going to tell his story. So instead of this being an opportunity for Stephen to get out of it, a a testimony for himself, he looks at it as an opportunity to tell them about Jesus and take every opportunity that is offered to you. The first thing he begins with is Abraham because as Jewish leaders, they they understood their heritage. They were very patriotic. Uh, There was a a pride in it. When I went to Russia in uh, the year, I think it was 2000, no, it was 90 like 99, and uh, maybe it was 98. I went, I went to Russia uh, and uh, took, uh, in fact, I took uh, Ashley Johnston, uh, Dave Johnston's daughter. She was just in junior high. I was the principal of school. Her and some other junior hires, we went on a missions trip to Russia. And I remember going into a city called Smolensk, and this was kind of the, the city that, that held up during World War II against the Nazi Germans and, and just a, a big battle. And you could sense the national pride. And what they still do is, is they still play these patriotic songs as you're walking around. And they gather together in assemblies. You know, kind of like what we would do maybe on the 4th of July, but not just fireworks. They, they had a religious pride. They understood where they came from. And, and the father of their faith, the father of their nation is whom? It's Abraham. So where does Stephen begin? He begins with Abraham. And he tells Abraham's testimony. As he does this, again, um, he goes into this long explanation. Um, He begins in a respectful way, and he says, brethren and fathers. So he he appeals to them. He's not acting like he's superior to them, like he's better than them. He calls them brethren and fathers, and he just simply says, listen. And I believe that Stephen's heart, is trying to connect them back to the Lord. I really believe that's the per. I don't think he's just trying to slam them. I really think his heart is for them, as you'll find out later on. So he begins with this, that the glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when? What does it say? When he was in Mesopotamia, in verse two, before he dwelt where? In Haran. And he said to him, get out of your, your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Now, this may not be a big deal to us, but let me tell you where Mesopotamia is. Um, it's where Iraq is right now. Okay, that's Mesopotamia. The Jewish leaders that are persecuting Stephen are in what area? Jerusalem, kind of like the capital, like the, the seat of God's holiness and where God's presence dwells. And they have this national pride that goes along with that. And what Stephen does is he reveals to them, God appeared to Abraham when Abraham was not yet in the promised land. Abraham was still in Mesopotamia. 
Now, let me tell you why I believe that this is a, a pretty important thing. You know, there was a, a little bit of idolatry that was going on for these Jewish leaders of the place, the place of Israel. This is God's holy place. And I'll tell you, if you've ever been to Israel, you, you know that there's something very special about that place. But it doesn't mean that you have to go on a pilgrimage to Israel in order to meet with God. There are different religions that talk about, you know, um, if you study Islam, you realize that they have all of these holy places that they pilgrimage to. And there's nothing wrong with us going to Israel to learn about our history and, and the history of faith and all of these things. And it's a blessing, actually. You really see living history. But let me tell you that you don't have to go there to get any closer to God. You don't have to go there in order to have your prayers heard. If I could just get to the wailing wall, if I could just get to that place and, and write my prayer on a piece of paper and put it in that wall, then God would hear me. And, and in a sense, what Stephen is showing them is, no, it's not about the place. It's about the God who calls us. And let me tell you this, that when it comes to when God called us, when God called you, when God called me, he started to reach out to us before we were in a place of worship. So probably when you think about your own life, it was before you ever entered into a church, before you entered into, a, maybe as a small child, maybe that's how you came to know the Lord because you were raised in the church. But for anyone that was older, God started to work on your heart first. He started to show you things. There was an emptiness or you met someone or you started to wonder. There were things that God used to begin to draw you close to him. That's why when when Pastor Don is going to teach that evangelism class. He talks about the evangelism clock. And if someone comes to, to the Lord at noon, you don't know if you're witnessing to them at one or if it's three or six or nine. You have no idea. And in the same way, God started to draw you before you knew him. That's what God did to Abraham. It says in verse four, then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans. And where did he dwell? In a place called Haran. Now, just so you know, that Haran is between Mesopotamia and Israel. So God told him, I want you to leave Mesopotamia. I want you to go to the promised land. That was Israel. And then I want you to leave your relatives. So go on your own. This is a calling that is specific to you. And what does Abraham do? He stops halfway between the promised land and Mesopotamia. He stops in this place called Haran, and it says that he dwelt there. So he wasn't a pilgrim that was passing through. He was a settler that lived there for a while. And it says that he brought his father with him. And we also know that he brought his nephew, Lot. And you see that this is an incomplete obedience on Abraham's part. It, it, he, we call him, and, and in fact, when Stephen's talking to the Jewish leaders who talk about Abraham, the father of faith, he's basically pointing out that your, your hero, our hero, our, our national leader was not perfect. The founding fathers of the United States, there's some great things about them. Some really godly men. Some of them were born again believers, but they were not perfect. And when we read about the apostles and we think about the first century church, the early church, that, that was a great church, and it was. They were not perfect. And what Stephen is showing is that even Abraham, this father of faith, that they had so much pride in was not perfect. And it was God, the one that was perfect. It's not Abraham's faithfulness. It's God's faithfulness. Who's the center of this story? It's not even Abraham. It's God. And let me tell you that the center of your story is not you. 
Now, this is a weird thing this morning. We live in an ethnocentric country where uh, you, when we watch the news, it's all about news in America. You go outside of America and you watch world news. It's kind of embarrassing to me when I travel outside of the U.S. that people know about my country and what's happening here. I have no idea what's happening over there. Now, not just an ethnocentric country, the coast, kind of New York, California, you know, we're, we're kind of into ourselves. You know, we kind of think that, that the world revolves around us. And, and uh, if you go into the middle of the country, there's some different opinions. There's some, some different feelings. But the coast, we just think the world revolves around us. And then you bring it a little bit closer in. The, the word of 2013. So last year, what was the word of the year? Anyone know? Selfie. It was the word of the year. Every year they have a word of the year that kind of represents that year, a word that, that now they put into the dictionary and it means something. The word of the year for 2013 was selfie, which is a picture of yourself. <laughs> and, and never in the history of, of humankind have we been so infatuated with self. Magazine titles. Uh, you, you go back, you know, there was Life magazine. Life magazine doesn't d- exist in print anymore. You know, there's Time magazine there, and then it turned to us, got a little bit more selfish, and then Self. You remember there's the magazine Self. It's like it just keeps getting more and more selfish, and what Stephen is doing is he's pointing out the story of our nation, and your story is really not your own story. You're not the center of your own story. And let me tell you that you're not the center of your own story, and I'm not the center of my own story. It's all a part of his story, and how we fit into that. So he dwelt in Haran, and from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to a land in which you now dwell. So now he finally got to the promised land. Notice that it was God who initiated the relationship. You don't have to be the one that initiates the relationship between you and God. You have to respond. God is the initiator. You're here this morning because God brought you here. You're opening up God's word because it's God that wants to speak to you. Anytime you pray, it's because there's a desire to pray. And the reason why there's a desire to pray is that it's God that is pulling that desire from you. And if you want to learn more about who God is and you're curious, the reason why you're curious, it's because God has put that into you. And God appeared to Abraham when he was still in Mesopotamia and he brings him all the way to this promised land. Again, some of the things that uh, we trust in when Abraham uh, brought his father with him, sometimes we hold on to not things, but people. And the reason why we're not willing to obey God sometimes is because we're holding on to a relationship, and this relationship is my security. Maybe God says, I want you to, I just want you to take a step of faith, and I want you to go to your friends at school, and I want you to invite them to youth group. I'll do it if my friends are willing to do it. Maybe God is telling you, hey, I want you to move to a new area outside of the United States. And, and maybe it's something that God is calling you to the mission field and you're thinking, I'll do it as long as this person goes with me, as long as this works out. See, I think there are times when God tries to break our security in people and things and our security is not in a place and it's not in a person unless it's the person of Christ. And so as he speaks, as Stephen speaks to this council, he's telling them in a sense, 
you're in the promised land, but you're not in the promised land. Spiritually, you're still in Mesopotamia. Spiritually, you're still maybe in Haran. You're halfway there. Maybe you're trusting in uh, your, your people rather than trusting in God. And so sometimes when we look at Abraham's life and we look at him as the father of faith, I, I'm encouraged by the fact that he wasn't perfect. Sometimes when I'm disobedient to God, I'm blessed by the fact that Abraham, even though he didn't go all the way to the promised land, he stopped halfway. He didn't go alone. He brought his father and his nephew with him. But he eventually got to the promised land. And what that tells me is that sometimes in my disobedience, God's no's to his promises are not his no. Sometimes they're his delay until I'm ready to obey him. I want you to think in your own life, what are some of the things that God has called you to? Some of the desires of your heart, maybe some of God's blessings that you are not experiencing right now. And maybe it's because it's not that God doesn't love you and it's not that God is saying no, but sometimes there's a pause and a delay in the fulfillment of what God's doing because of my disobedience. And I could think of some things as I was studying right now in my own life that this is happening, that God convicted me of some things that I've prayed about, some things that I believe that God is calling me to, some things that I believe that God is going to do in my own life, some blessings that I believe he wants to give me. But what he's shown me is that, hey, it's not a no, it's a delay until you do the last thing I told you to do. You know, when you do that, then come and talk to me and maybe we're gonna do something else. But until you do that, you're just stuck. You are just, you're, you're, you're uh, like that uh, Greek uh, tragedy that uh, myth of sisyphus if you've ever heard of that he has this rock and he's trying to move this rock out of this ditch and he's rolling the rock and he gets to the very top and it rolls back over him and then it goes to the bottom of the pit again and then that's what he does for eternity that's kind of his hell i think that sometimes we experience a little bit of that in our lives when there's an area of disobedience we're saying i just got to get over this hump i have just gotta you know when it maybe relationships is your achilles heel Maybe you just have to let something go. Maybe it's a a sin. Maybe it's just obeying God in an area of faith where he's told you, trust me. Maybe it's your finances. Whatever those things are, until we get past that, then we sometimes don't experience God's calling, uh, the family the way that God wants it, the the right relationship, the the peace and blessing of God until I just say, God, I'm gonna obey you in these other areas of my life. And then I also see God's timing in verse five. And God gave him, Abraham, no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, remember his wife, Sarah, was barren. She couldn't have children. God promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years and the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God. And after that, they'll come out and serve me in this place. Now, even though this promise of the promised land was given to Abraham, Abraham didn't get to um, inherit that land yet. It was something for afar off. Let me read this to you out of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, but uh, by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, 
the heirs with him of the same promise. And listen to this part. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Then it goes on to say, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now, let me tell you that sometimes when God answers prayers, sometimes his timing isn't for now. There are some things that God has put into your heart that the timing is for a time that's later on. And for Abraham, that's what it was. And let me tell you, in Stephen's answer to the council, he's telling the council this, you are missing God's timing. The Messiah that you are waiting for has already come. And you're missing it. You're missing God's timing. The timing of God's promises may not be our timing. And the means by which he fulfills his promises may not be our doing. Let me give you an example. David wanted to build a temple for the Lord, right? What did God tell him? He told him no. But he told him what you can do is you can prepare your son Solomon to do it. And you could provide the materials and you could pave the way for him to do it. You know what I realize in my life? There are some things that I believe that God has put in my heart that I may not be the person to do those things. It could be you. There could be something that I am praying about that I feel like as a church that we need to do an area of of ministry that needs to be reached. And it's not going to be me. It's going to be you. Or it's going to be someone else. I realize that there are things in my own life that I want to accomplish, that I want to reach um, this world for Christ. And, And it may not be me. It might be my kids. And you know what? It might be my grandkids. Do you know where we play a part? We play a part in just getting involved in what God's doing. And we say, God, however you want to use me along the way, use me along the way. It's like a long sustained drive down a football field. And imagine this, like you're a fullback, you get a handoff and boom, you plow into the line, you get three yards. And the next play, the quarterback passes to someone else, you get seven yards. That three yards plus that seven yards, that's called a first down. You move the chains with other people and it wasn't you doing all of the work. We're just part of the play to do our part. And if we do our part, that's all that God calls us to do. Sometimes that means just telling his story to others. Then we look at the patriarchs in verses eight through 19. It says, then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. So Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. Now, again, we're not going in depth into each life, but let me say this. The first 2000 years of of human existence is covered by Genesis one through 11. From creation uh, to the fall, to the flood. But let me say this, that from uh, chapter 12 of Genesis to chapter 50, that only covers this family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their kids. And it shows us that, that in all of history that God has a very special place for individuals and for families. There's a big picture, and sometimes we feel so insignificant, like, what can I do? I'm just a small, small little part. But do you realize that your small little part can have an eternal impact on this world. Again, we don't know the impact that we have on other people. He picks up the story by speaking of Joseph in verse nine. And the patriarchs becoming envious 
So remember, the pride of the council was in, we have the patriarchs. And Stephen points out to them, the patriarchs, they became envious and they sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all of his troubles and gave him favor. That's a word for grace and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. You know what I love? I love the fact that God was with Joseph where? In Egypt. Not only where in Egypt, imprisoned in Egypt, sold into slavery in Egypt. God was with Joseph in the worst possible place, worst possible scenario. See, I think that sometimes we, uh, we think of God being with us only at times when we see his blessings tangibly. But there are times when we don't know what God is doing. Uh, I, I saw this wood carving and it said G-O-D-I-S-N-O-W-H-E-R-E. All together. And if you read it, it looks like it says God is nowhere. But if you put a a break, it could also say God is now here. Just depends on how you read it. So when it comes to your own life, you might feel God's nowhere. I'm in a dungeon. I'm in a dead end job. This relationship isn't going well. This area of my life, I'm just stuck. God's nowhere. But I think if we really look, what we're going to see is that God is now here. Realize this, he's everywhere and he's present and he's available for us. And too many times I only judge whether or not God is here based on how my circumstances are going. Not based on God's character and what he wants to teach me through it. And sometimes in the hardest, worst times is when God shows you I'm enough. It's when God shows you I'm real. It's when God shows you, I'm showing up in your life. It says in verse 11, a famine came and a great trouble came over all of the land of Egypt in Canaan. And our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our, our fathers first. And the second time Joseph was made known to his brothers and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all of his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. Now, God knew that there would be a famine in Canaan. And he also knew that there would be grain in Egypt. Um, The background of this is that uh, Joseph was born with these other brothers that hated him because he had a dream. In his dream, he said... um, Basically, I saw these stars, you know, and all the stars around uh, were, were bowing down to this one star. And then I saw these sheaves of, of grain and they all bowed down to this one sheave of grain. And I'm that sheave of grain. In other words, like you're all going to bow down to me and so are mom and dad. And they hated Joseph. And, and remember that his dad gave him the coat of many colors. And uh, literally, when you read that, it's the coat of big sleeves. So it was almost like a coat of authority and, and this mantle of favoritism upon him. So his brothers are like, let's kill him. Let's just get rid of him. And uh, let's just, 
and, and you remember the oldest brother's like, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into a pit and uh, let's just sell him as a slave. And then we'll take his coat and we will rub blood on it. And we'll tell that our, our father that he's dead and animals came and attacked him. And so they do that. Joseph gets sold as a slave down in Egypt. And when, when he's there, he goes into this, this uh, you know, dungeon basically, and he's in prison there and God had favor on Joseph. In, in years to pass, what happens is as the brothers all age and there's a famine in Israel, they go back to Egypt. And when they get to Egypt, Joseph is second in line to the Pharaoh and he feeds them and he takes care of them and it preserves the nation of Israel. And they go from that time of 75 people to over 2 million people while they are there. Now, let me tell you, sometimes God is at work in your life and in my life and I don't see it. And I think that when Stephen is saying this to the council. I think he's also saying it to himself. And I think this morning I'm saying it to myself. In areas of my life where I, I feel like, man, I, I'm hitting a brick wall. I'm, I'm a failure. I'm not f- fulfilling the things that I, I think that God wants to do in my life. I look at goals. I look at things that I want to accomplish. And I, I don't, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm not making progress sometimes. And I think that God would encourage us this morning to not put our faith and trust in our own faithfulness, but put our our trust and our faith in his faithfulness. God's faithful. When we abide in him, fruit. When we abide in him, not just fruit, but fruit trees that are producing more fruit. When we just simply trust in him, he is working a story in our lives as part of his story that we don't even know. And we're just that small part of it. I believe at the end of our lives, I believe that when we stand before the Lord and if we know Christ and we put our trust in him, he's going to let us see how our lives were just a small part of his story and how that fit into what he's doing in this world. And I pray this morning that you would be encouraged by these, these accounts of men and women of faith that were real men and women just like you and just like me. I think that Stephen wanted to paint this picture for his brethren here. And let me close with this. Next week, we are going to get into the life of Moses. Um, Again, they, they began to trust in Moses. Hey, Moses is the guy. Moses is the guy. And he's going to show them next week that Moses simply pointed to, to Christ. But I think there's some applications before we leave. This morning, where are you? Are you in Mesopotamia? Mesopotamia representing, you don't really know God yet. You haven't really opened up your life in faith to say, God, forgive me, come into my life. But God has appeared to you in your current state to tell you that he loves you and he has a plan for your life. He wants to redeem you. He wants to save you. He wants to take you to heaven, but not just heaven. He wants to work in your life now so that you could be a part of bringing other people to him. Are you in Mesopotamia? This morning, are you in Haran? Are you halfway between Mesopotamia and God's promises? Yeah, I'm not in Mesopotamia anymore. I know the Lord, but I'm stuck. And the reason why I'm stuck is I know that I'm not obeying some of the things that he has told me to obey. I'm still trusting in some other security, some other thing as my sense of worth and identity. I'm trusting in something else. So I'm not experiencing the promises of God's peace and love and joy. I'm not experiencing that fruit yet. 
because I'm stuck in Haran? Or are you in the promised land where your life isn't perfect, but you're resting in God's promises? Second application, are you passing on his story? Stephen could have just shut up. Stephen could have just said, yes, no. The question, are these things so? Yes, no. Stephen could have just shut up, but he took it as an opportunity to tell his story. Are you taking every opportunity to tell his story to others? Or are you afraid of, maybe they're gonna throw rocks at me. Maybe they're gonna put me on trial. Maybe they won't be my friend. Maybe they're gonna fire me. Maybe they're going to judge me. Maybe they're going to mock me. Maybe they are going to come against me. Am I telling his story every opportunity? And then the last application here is this. When it comes to perseverance, am I persevering like Joseph in prison? Like Abraham, seeing the promise afar off and not having it fulfilled in my life yet, but I'm not giving up. I'm gonna be like that plodding fullback and you give me the ball and I'll get two yards. I'm just not gonna go backwards. It's what I love about Frank Gore. He just doesn't go backwards. I'm just gonna keep going forward. Give me the ball. I'm gonna take it from here a little bit farther than it currently is. And somehow that's gonna help the overall team. And so if we could have the worship team come up and lead us during this time of worship and kind of reflecting on what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life right now, what he's spoken to you. The bottom line is this, you are part of his story, not the center of it. You're part of history. You're not even the center of your own story. So Lord, how am I a part of your story and what you're doing? Help take the blinders off of my eyes so that I can see it because sometimes I can't see it. Sometimes I can't see your work, but God, take the blinders off of my eyes so that I could see what it is that you're doing. And we're going to, to sing and we're going to worship the Lord. And I wanna encourage you not only to sing with us, but allow these, the lyrics to draw you in to realize that, that God is calling us to this faith. And if you've never received Christ into your life as your Lord and your Savior, what that means is you've never given control of your life over to God and trusted him for your eternal security. Then let this morning be that morning that you pray, Jesus, I put my faith and my trust in you. And if you're stuck in Mesopotamia or Haran, get beyond that and say, God, I wanna rest in your promises. And Lord, if I am persevering during difficult circumstances, give me strength to persevere because you're not done with me yet. Give me that hope and encouragement that you are still working the work that you've begun. So Father, this morning, we thank you for your word. Lord, as Stephen delivered this sermon to uh, the religious council and to the high priest, God, we thank you that your word, it still speaks to us today. That God, we take these messages and like Abraham, Lord, you You appeared to us before we ever knew you. And sometimes, Lord, that appearance wasn't a miraculous um, epiphany as much as it was you spoke to our hearts. Someone appeared in our lives that happened to be that catalyst of faith. We went through circumstances that caused us to be desperate to say, God, if you're real, I need you. And Lord, I pray that you would move us beyond Mesopotamia beyond Haran, where we stop short of your promises and we enter into that place of just resting in your faithfulness. And God, I thank you that our story 
and what you are doing in us and through us, part of a bigger picture, that it's not dependent upon my faithfulness. It's not dependent upon our faithfulness. But God, we thank you that it is dependent upon your faithfulness. You've already displayed that. You've shown us that you are the God that can be trusted. So this morning, as we sing to you and as we worship, we don't want them just to be lyrics that we listen to. We want them to be things that come out of our hearts because this is our prayer this morning. Lord, draw near to us as we draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen.